Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to What the Fab, a fans first sports network fantasy baseball show where there are no silly questions. I'm Sarah Sanchez, and as always, I'm here to break down what's going on in fantasy baseball with some of the greatest minds in the industry in a way that strives to demystify this wonderful game a bit while bridging the gap between your home league and the NFBC main event. It is the very last day of the 2023 season, and today we're recapping that incredible season both in fantasy and in real baseball with Nick Pollock. You know Nick from his excellent work at Pitcher's List, which he founded. He is the 2022 FSWA Writer of the Year, and I'm thrilled to have him here for the season recap. Nick, how's it going? What is happening? Great to see you, Sarah. (laughs) It is the end of the regular season today. It's the weirdest day of the year to me. I, I, it's always so bittersweet because, you know, it's like so exciting. You have October ahead. You, there are all these things that we're all thinking about. Okay, cool. I'm going to take care of that thing in the off season, going to do that. But then, man, how did that just happen? And so quickly, it's just gone. There it is done. A season's over. Oh my gosh. We got here. It really does feel like it happened both fast and slow. And I I mean that by, like, we just watched 162 games of whatever (laughs) for whichever (laughs) teams we were watching, for whoever we loved, for the Mike Talkmans of the world, and also for the Shohei Otanis of the world, and for all all of the pitchers in between, and all of the guys in between. And it's just one of those situations where I find the baseball season to be both long and short. Uh, and I don't know if that's the same for you, but it feels that way to me. It It is. Uh, I mean, certainly there are these pockets that are just so exciting, right? You have the Cole Reagan's journey, which is the greatest thing ever. Um, but we forget that there are all these things also at the beginning of the year where pitchers were amazing, then terrible, or they got hurt and they came back and then they were gone. There's so many random storylines and threads that go through it and you see Merrill Kelly just still being good still by the end. And it was unbelievable. And Kyle Hendricks wasn't a thing for a bit. All of a sudden, he became what I call the Spider Man, which is the Toby of the year. The most, <laughs> uh, that is at the end of your fantasy baseball league, the guy that you debate do I want to keep him around or not? Does he, is he worthwhile? And essentially, it's like so from the office who gets his work done, but you're not happy that he's there. And uh, yeah, it does feel like that. I mean, I do an article every single night called the SP Roundup, right? And it's, you know, by the end of the year, I always feel excited that I don't have to do that at 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. But it's also, I don't know, 
I feel like that's like my lifeblood. That's like such an essence to me. And there are times when it feels like it's going so slowly and times like, oh my gosh, it's already August. I've been doing this for four and a half months. It's insane. But yeah, we're here. We got some October baseball, which is the best baseball. It is by far the best baseball. Finally, how I watch games, Sarah, everyone else will also watch games that same way. <laughs> Finally, because like I care about every pitcher, right? Like I want them to do so well. So every pitch matters to me from them. Well, everyone's like, Nick, why are you caring about this random guy on the athletics? I mean, that's Joe Boyle. He's in a good opportunity against the Angels. That's cool. And they go, I don't. OK, Nick. And now everyone actually cares. Thank you, everyone. Come on by. It's a great time. Was Kyle Hendricks really your Toby of the year? Oh, yeah. I mean, he was often like in competition of Spider-Man. I don't know if that's a that's a celebration. I mean, well, there it is, is for poly, me. I... Which is the next step. <laughs> Which is like if you have a 20 to 25% K rate as opposed to a sub 20%. Oh, yeah. That's never going to be Kyle Hendricks. <laughs> yeah. I, <know>. <laughs> <laughs> I actually, um, one of my surprise things this season that I had never looked up before, but I, I looked up this season for hashtag reasons. And I realized that Kyle Hendricks has a higher career K per nine than Greg Maddox. Which oh, that doesn't surprise me. It doesn't surprise me either, but it, but it, also, it's like one of these guys is in the Hall of Fame and the other dude is just like a dude. Mm. <laughs> and I was yeah. like, it was one of those moments where I was like, oh, Greg Maddox really did just make a living off of I'm going to throw 300 innings on 80 pitches per game. And right. none of those are strikeouts and it's fine. <laughs> well, it's, you know, it was a different time of how swing aggression worked, you know, and uh, and how batters and uh, umpires are, right? And what kind of style are you going to have at the plate? Whereas your strikeout rates obviously just got larger. Um, so Kyle Hendricks, even though he's, it is interesting, Kyle Hendricks, you know, we like to say it's, it's Maddox cause he throws slow, but when it comes to actually what he does in his approach, it's not actually that Maddox X-esque, like it isn't cutters. It isn't, you know, it, it's, it's not darting inside to both sides of the plate. I mean, really when I think of Maddox, that's what that is. And then freezing with a backdoor uh, pitched where they're not looking for really working umpires more, which you can't do actually as much as you used to. Um, it's a completely different game. You throw Greg Maddox in there now, he's not going to have nearly the same amount of success. I'm sorry, Greg Maddox, but he just aren't. Um, and uh, Kyle Hendricks, I mean, yeah, it's cool that he can still do his thing, of course. I mean, it's beautiful. He didn't even have his curveball working this year. It was just sink or change. That was cool. It's true. I am um, Rob Friedman, uh, Pitching Ninja, to y'all who do not follow Pitching Ninja at home. I had a, an interview this year with Kyle Hendricks, or not Kyle Hendricks, sorry, an interview this year with Greg Maddox where he talked about um, one of Greg Maddox's nastiest pitches of his career. And Maddox mm -hmm. talked about how it was thrown because he got this ball that had like this weird little like scuff on it. Oh, no. And he was like, oh, this ball is great. Yeah. And he's like, I can just throw this ball with the scuff on it over and over and over again. And he was just waiting to get that ball back. And then at some point, the batter fouled the ball off into the stands. And they used to not trade balls out quite as much right. uh, in the Maddox days as they do now. And I was like, wow, what would Kyle Hendricks have been like if he had had like the scuffed ball effect where he could I, just like, ah, I've got a scuffed ball and I'm I just going to play if, with it for a players... while like can manipulate it like take advantage of it when they have it right i mean that they're like these old school uh skills that aren't around anymore because you can't get away with as much <laughs> you know uh like i'm thinking about myself like if i had a scuff ball what i would say okay cool i'd probably get more ride on my two seamer than i guess but then i would have to make sure i know 
the part of the ball that's scuffed so that I can lean into that. But it's, yeah, that is interesting. I mean, some guys, like the older veterans, like, I'm not throwing this ball, but why would you throw this ball? This is great. And I was like, yeah, I don't know where it's going to go. I already have a problem putting it where I want it to go. I don't want something else getting in the way of that now, too, right? So that's pretty cool to see. I felt so bad. And then for Maddox, like, you got to throw a better pitch, man. You can't let him foul it off. It's on you. I know that's that's on that's on the Hall of Famer. We're going to come back uh, to some of the rules changes and how pitchers might adapt to them in a minute. But before we do, let's talk about playoff vibes. The play the teams who are going to be in the playoffs, the guys who we are going to see play baseball in October. Who, with any luck, we're going to get to watch at First Pitch Arizona uh, when we're trying to decide between watching things like the Home Run Derby at the Fall Stars or. Game six, which Nick, I'm just saying, you and I made the same choice, and I, I appreciate that, the best that we choice. made the same choice. <laughs> I mean, Lauren Arenbach and uh, and Jenny Butler as well. We had the best table watching that game. We did, and I'm still enraged. I'm still upset. I, I just, Zach Wheeler, right? They why Zach was he Wheeler. pulled? I I'm with you. <laughs> it was worse than Blake Snell to me. I don't know. It was. Oh man, he should not have been pulled from that game. He just shouldn't have. It's still, yeah. I'm still yelling at that TV. But if you were happy Phillies, for Dusty, though, so I'm happy for you. I, I'm, I'm still happy for Dusty, but yeah. the Phillies really did themselves in that night. They should have left Zach Wheeler in that game. They should have let Kyle Schwarber hit that home run. They should have just kept going. Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's also even the previous night. I think I was yelling at the TV at Nick Castellanos. <laughs> uh, I don't know if you remember that one, but that was uh, essentially he was facing. Oh, who was it? I can't remember. He was just throwing sliders. And you knew that like everybody in the world knew this was going to be a slider. And he got the perfect one to hit. And he just didn't. He just got way too on top of it. And he grounded out. And I was just it's like, Nick, that is the dream. And Cassianos, too. That is the dream. I was talking to myself at that moment. But, um, <laughs> I. But yeah, that was oh I like to yell at TVs, but it's also it's never like there are two ways to yell at TVs. There's one where it's the misguided fan who's just looking for a reason to yell. Um, and then it becomes very uncomfortable of uh of just someone about their team. And then if you like say, you know, then like I don't want to be a fan of the other team or anything. Um for me, it's like out of I'm like having fun laughing. <laughs> And like and like yelling at it, just like out of my the passion of it, you know. And I can like I'm not angry. I'm just expressing my thoughts loudly. <laughs> um, but uh, I'm yeah, not I've, angry. I'm just expressing my thoughts yeah, loudly. That, that is exactly it. There's no actual <laughs> true anger. It's more of my passion for this moment and wanting to everyone else to like. I don't know. Have it's like make it more enjoyable. I think if you let out your passion in a way that's not as anger. Like I'm not, I I'm not going to be violent. I'm not, there's no fear. There's it's just raw passion <laughs> in a good way. That's all. That's what it you're going to get. Yeah, it is raw passion in a good way. Let's talk about some of these National League teams, and we'll move to the American League teams about who we could have some raw passion about <laughs> uh, in a good way. 
Why did I say We've got a wild card series that's going to have the Brewers facing off against the Diamondbacks. And we've got another wild card series that has the Phillies facing off against the Marlins. Uh, the Brewers, are obviously the division winner, but you know, that's how the bracket works. Um, yeah. And then those two teams will be playing for a chance to play the Braves and Dodgers who have a bye into this round. Are there some National League teams that you are particularly interested in in this playoff wild card mishamash that yeah. MLB has given us? No team is like, I think in, in both leagues, there's no de facto team to me. It's wild. It's wild. Everyone is is messed up in some way. Um. And, and, and I think like the Brewers are the only one with an actual rotation that I'm like, oh, okay, they are, that is phenomenal, right? With you, of course, you have uh, Castillo, Burns, and, and Woodruff. Sorry, not Castillo, Peralta, Burns, and Woodruff. Well, everyone else is just two guys or maybe one. And it, it's strange. You could say Atlanta maybe, but Freed's finger is weird. And, and then there's and Morton's finger too. And then uh, and it's just Strider, but Strider had a 3.8 plus ERA, which is the funniest thing ever to me. It's like the ultimate. Is he like, is he SP1 next year? I don't know. I got to decide tomorrow. I'm doing my top 200 starting pitchers for 2024 tomorrow um, all day. It's like literally all I'm doing tomorrow from like 10 to 6. So um, Strider yeah, is super. That, yeah. Oh, keep going. Sorry. No, no, no. no. Yeah, go, 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 please. I was just going to say Strider is super weird to me. Uh, he was definitely my best pitcher in Tat Wars. I'm really glad I had him on my team. And also, I don't know, the last like month and a half was kind of, it was kind of weird. Yeah. It was like I was getting a ton of strikeouts and I was not getting anything in the ratio categories. And it was like, ooh, is this okay? Yeah, 4-3-4 ERA with a 110 whip since July 15th through the end of the year. Uh, I know that because I wrote it this morning. <laughs> um but uh, but yeah, that's wait, hold on. And I know that like ERA is is weird and finicky. Trust me, I, I'm actually the person to tell you that the amount of emotion we share of or the the motion swings that we have based on someone allowing 200 runs or 300 runs in a game is hilarious to me. I mean, that's the difference between a three ERA and a 4.5 across six innings. That's, that's that's so much. And it's just one stupid run in some fashion, you know, he allowed a walk and that went two bases for whatever reason. And there's just a bloop single. There's a run like it's so silly at times. So, yeah, maybe it's just all right, Strider, fine. There's also the side that is, um, I don't know, he's two pitches. Generally, we don't see a fastball slider guy unless you're to Grom. That is just insane. And DeGrom's command is like the best in the majors. That's what makes him so good. He, he throws super hard with an amazing slider too, but it's also, he puts it everywhere where he wants. And Strider isn't? I don't know. I don't know what to do, Sarah. Do I, I, can I make him SP1? I mean, 200, what, 75 strikeouts by the end of it? Okay, yeah, that's pretty dang good. Um, I think I'm going to put Garrett Cole number one. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I don't think not... I can do it. I don't think I can do Strider. I just can't. It's like he's the most consistent pitcher there is. And it's the highest floor starting pitcher. By I bar mean, none. the Yankees are not in the playoff picture. So no. we will not see Garrett Cole in the postseason. But the American League bracket is kind of interesting, too. You've got the division winning twins. Why is it always these central teams that are playing the wild card teams? I think there's a Because the central is always the worst division. <laughs> the central it, is it, always the worst. It's been this way for so long. I'm sorry, Sarah. You know this, though. It's just it's like, true. I don't know what it is. 
do, do your front offices stink? I don't <laughs> I'm just kidding. I, I'm... I actually, I don't know if I wrote this piece or if I just thought about it a few years ago. I, I want to try to piece about the NL Central asking if a di division could collude with itself. <laughs> and they were all just like, yo, we don't have to be good. We can just be like slightly better right. than 500 and it will be fine. And we can just all do that. <laughs> Yeah. cost us less money i mean the uh the the obvious answer is that okay the coasts are gonna have bigger cities so thus they have more money and all like blah 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 and then you have chicago it's like well we're kind of big too we have two teams worth theoretically um, and two and a half. yeah it's it's kind of it's it's weird it's weird you guys should be better uh, we we definitely should be chicago <laughs> is having a bad sports decade it's it's fine yeah. minus that 2016 thing but uh, in uh, in the AL, you've got the Twins versus the Blue Jays. You've got the Rays versus the Rangers. And then mm -hmm. the Orioles and Astros are waiting in the wings for either the Rays and Rangers or the Twins and Blue Jays. Is there a team here that you like more than the teams that are in the National League? Or are I, I kind of think all these teams are flawed, too. Yeah, well, no, right. It, it goes both ways of how good is the Orioles rotation, actually? How good is the offense, actually? Uh, now that they don't have Felix Bautista, of course, is it going to be Tyler Wells saving the day? I hope so. Um, the Astros rotation is also kind of strange. The and by the way, I, I I'm sorry, guys. I look, I don't take sides when it comes to teams normally, but I just didn't want the Astros to win the division. I I just come on, I just didn't want it to happen again. The, we've been talking about for ages, like is there team there a team that's going to actually usurp them in the West? And here come the Rangers, and they have the number one offense and literally like to the last day of the year they they have it pretty much and then they just lose it and not do they lose it they lose it one to nothing while the astros destroy the diamondbacks right it's not even this like tension the second it was one to nothing you knew they weren't gonna do it it, it was so defeating the entire day is like oh well the astros win and that's they're not gonna that's it done Ugh, i hate it i'm sorry astros fans but come on I hate it. you guys are the Yankees now. The, the Astros are the Yankees. Reverse that. Whatever you want to say that. The Astros are the team in the AL now that's just, oh, God, not them. And uh, it's, ugh. They're going to make it to the World Series. It's stupid. God, I think you're it. right that the Astros are the Yankees now. And they're I was just, the World Series. We hate everything. I was just looking at, like, my personal, who am I cheering for now that the Cubs are out and the <laughs> yeah. And I'm like, the Astros are the team. They are the AL team below the, I have a meteor line. My meteor mm -hmm. line is the Tampa Bay Rays. And there's a whole bunch of reasons for that. It has mainly sure, to do with the way they. should spend more on their players because they make so much money. What the heck? That's we should exactly not glorify right. the fact that they have these amazing <laughs> contracts. Stop that. And what? I feel like the Rays are more willing to go to a guy and be like, hey, just blow your arm out throwing sliders. Well, that's actually by design, though. They, uh, Kyle Body, uh, I always say Body, it's Bodie. I would say like body, like it's from Clue. Um, Kyle Bodie, I uh, made a really good point about the Rays saying like, look, they by design are the reason they get these cheaper starters that perform well is because they know their injury risks. And that's why they are cheaper in the market. And they think the market inefficiency is just constantly churning injured guys. Uh, so that's kind of part of their thing. Um, and, and to be fair, there are a lot of teams that throw tons of sliders now. I mean, it's like you see this everywhere now. Uh, it's kind of shocking seeing a pitcher throw 60% fastballs in a game. 
It's like, wait, hold on. That's not, no one does that anymore. What are you doing? Like, yeah, 40%. That's what we're used to now. And that was a shock like three years ago. Someone going 40% fastballs a game. I was freaking out seeing Aaron Savali go cutter curveball for most of the, like his first 40 pitches. I remember this distinctly. And going, and that was, yeah, I think it was 2020. So, whoa, we don't see this. And everyone's like, yeah, I guess so. I'm like, no, this is, <laughs> this is a big moment. And yeah, so yeah, the Rays, I understand your conflictions with uh with cheering for them. And the Astros are definitely below that. The oh, Mariners for me were like the team that I adopted. And I'm just so sad now that that's done. Uh, the Mariners were high up on my list. Yeah. And there are no Mariners in this pool. So I, I got to ask, who are you pulling for in the National League? For me, it is definitely the Phillies. Um, mm. But I'm curious who your team is. I mean, uh, you know, Ellen Adair and is one of my best friends in the industry like she's just so wonderful i'll always root for the phillies just for you know just for that reason um but i mean yeah i mean zach zach wheeler and aaron nola too and they got so uh they just don't have their staff man it's just those two guys that's it that's christopher it. sanchez might do uh it's the problem <laughs> actually what's very interesting to me I, I this is just a theory i have i think the phillies figured out atlanta and uh, the biggest flaw is change-ups. Uh, Aaron Nola had a successful game against them because all of a sudden he threw like 30% change-ups and reduced the fastball. And Christopher Sanchez had a ridiculous night against them throwing so many change-ups. And it makes me wonder if that's the plan of attack uh, for the Phillies against Atlanta. Um, Mike Lorenzen has a decent change-up. So that might work. Ranger Suarez does, but we'll, we'll see if we see him again. Um but I, uh, but yeah, that might be the plan there. I, I'm with you. I think the Phillies are the one I'm leaning for. I, I kind of want the Dodgers fans to have something outside of the stupid 2020 asterisk, which shouldn't be. It should be a reverse asterisk because it is harder to win the playoffs in 2020. Not easier. It was harder. They had eight different teams make the playoffs and they still survived and won. It's, it's more luck based than they still won, you know? Um, but they still hear, oh, that wasn't a full season. So fine, go get your thing. It's, a, it's also shocking that they had like one World Series victory since what, 1980 something? Whatever the won? Kirk Gibson year was. Yeah, I can't remember. 88, I think that was. Yeah. I, I'm really bad. I at was little. History, I was very, very little. I'm terrible. So yeah, just, uh, I don't know. Not, not the Diamondbacks. I'm sorry. I just, I just feel like it's, you guys, don't, I don't know. It's not, the, the Diamondbacks and the Brewers for me have always been that like, like they always are the participation trophy team, you know they have. Gonna get me in trouble here, Nick. I know. <laughs> but, like, fans are I'm not saying that they like. I don't say that they don't deserve it or anything like that. It's just I realized that in my head when we talk about them for the postseason, it's just they've always been that team that doesn't really make it past the divisional series, or they do. Like we don't expect them to go to the World Series, for, like the last twenty years, you know, and. Uh, I remember actually once it being the Diamondbacks and the Brewers, I think, squaring off in a in the divisional series one year. And we we're all thinking like, OK, well, there's there's that series over there. Fine. <laughs> you know, but here's the real one going on. Um, and unfortunately, I feel like that's that's how we see it now. Uh, but yeah, I'm going for the Orioles. The Orioles are my number one. I mean, come on. Alex Fast was just like, how could I not jump on that bandwagon? I'm Ben Palmer here and my buddy is Shafiq, uh, who just sends me a gift every single time the Orioles win. So I've gotten a lot of gifts from him this year. Uh, it's the same one of that Orioles mascot holding the flag across the field. It's like every time I had to mute it. <laughs> I just get it so often. But yeah, I don't know how you feel about the Orioles. 
I'm a big fan of the Orioles, actually. Um, I, I like what they've done. I like the rebuild. I like Gunnar Henderson. I like Jordan Westberg. I am a big fan of the pitching staff. I'm 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 here for the Orioles to win. I actually, it's funny because the two teams I'm rooting for in the AL are the Orioles and the Rangers, who have done this as opposite mm. ways as possible. Yeah, the Orioles yeah. have done the like cheap, we're gonna bring up our guys and like wait and be patient, have multiple hundred lost seasons and do the thing. The Rangers were like, we're gonna spend a billion dollars. <laughs> we're gonna yeah. commit a billion dollars. <laughs> the Rangers remind me of like the 2012 Yankees. Of just, we all knew, well, that was the year that, that Jeter broke his ankle, right? Or maybe it was 2011. I don't remember. One of those two years it, where we lost to the Tigers and the Tigers went to the World Series and lost to the Giants. So that must have been 2012. Um, but man, they it was like the Rangers, as a fan, you got to feel like there's no way we're doing this. That rotation is just nothing. There's nothing there. It's Jordan Montgomery. No Dane Dunning. Who's like a good, he's like a good SP2, maybe like really a three for like the better teams. You know, like he's not a, he's not an ace. Evaldi's hurt, complete, like he's completely hurt. Andrew Heaney had to go 80 plus pitches. He hasn't done that for ages. And he lasted what, like four innings? Uh, I mean, it's just, how are they here? <laughs> it's kind of a disaster. <laughs> the offense like goes in hot and cold you know they just got shut out today i uh, it's yeah i feel for the rangers and it, it's it's too painful it's not fun enough for me i need Adley rutschman in my life going orioles <laughs> that's totally totally fair yeah. um well we'll get to watch some of these games together in arizona oh, yeah, but i cannot wait I, I'm so excited to watch some World Series games in Arizona with my favorite fantasy friends. Uh, but I, I do have a question for you. I know I know you are the pitcher dude. Pitchers had to deal with a lot this year. What are your biggest takeaways from this season with pitching and the new rules? Oh, man. Um, well, I am glad overall. It might sound weird. I generally am like, as a pitching guy, I want pitchers to be the best because then it makes me look good. Because I'm like, yeah, this guy's going to be good. And they're like, oh, yeah, Nick, you were right. Thank you. Because all of them were good. Um, so like 2017, I looked like the greatest thing ever. Cause I was the year of the pitcher. Like Nick, you were so right on all this stuff. Like I know, right? Well, amazing. Um, but actually this year, generally I think pitching, um, I think pitching got worse. Uh, and it made it more interesting. Honestly, I think it kind of, uh, and I think the, the rules obviously impacted him offense in a good way. Um, especially when you see, you know, 4070 Acuna here, so many more stolen bases. I think that's a great aspect of the game that was gone. Um, and bringing that back is fantastic. The the shorter games and the pitch clock stuff, it was really hard to discern, I think, in season, which pitchers are actually being affected by it or not. There was a, a generalized thing about, like, which I really hated. I saw, I saw a lot of comments about, um, you know, Pitchers that looked overweight, oh, they're now failing with the pitch clock, which was just horrible because that's just not true in the slightest. And it's just, you know, making all these horrible uh, opinions really at them and everything. And I don't believe that. I don't, I, you know, it's really just difficult to discern like, okay, guys are struggling. There's so many reasons why they've struggled in the past. Like all of a sudden now it's a pitch clock. No. Um, and I think our real concerns about the pitch clock are kind of just like not present uh, personally. That's my takeaway with it. Everyone adapted. We saw the violations just drop massively. And it's not like we saw when the violations dropped massively that everyone was worse as a pitcher, right? Uh, so, you know, when it comes to new rules, I think it's great. Uh, I get to write my stuff earlier because <laughs> the games are over sooner. 
I think it's terrible at the ballpark because I want to hang out with my friends more. And I find these games ending too soon. It's two hours now, essentially, uh, for a lot of them. And uh, it's no fun. But yeah, I think uh, yeah, I think it's all good. I think it's a good direction for MLB. I agree with you on the like weight thing overall. I think that that's oh, a I think that's too. a red herring and I don't want to hear about it anymore. Yeah, but exactly. I do think I do think that there are a handful of pitchers for whom having a clock on them. Oh, I change the way that they approach the game. And I don't think about this. I, I don't think about this as like a weight thing or a conditioning thing or anything. I actually think about it as I'm an old teacher. So I taught for seven years before I was in the job that I'm in now. I think of it as a test anxiety thing. Mm. So one of the things we know about kids is that some kids, you, put, you say, hey, there's a test. It, you get 60 minutes to do these 40 problems or whatever. And a bunch of kids are like, yeah, I'm just going to like do these 40 problems in 60 minutes. And some kids are going to be like, whoa, <laughs> I can't do this. My brain just like turns off when you put a clock on me. Yeah. And I do think that there's a handful of guys who probably were impacted by the by the pitch clock in a way that changed their mechanics, changed their rhythm, changed how they approached the game, changed how they made decisions. And I don't know if they'll get it back. Like, I, I really don't know if you can go, if you're a person for whom a clock, like, changes your motivations and your rhythm and your mm -hmm. the way you deal with that moment that much. And I'm not going to name names here, but I just, I think there's a handful of guys who really did not perform well this year that, potentially are never coming back because of the pitch clock. And it makes me really sad. Yeah, no, I, I'm not in disagreement that there are players who have been affected by it. I think uh, our ability to discern as it's happening, who is yeah. as a direct result of it is, was so difficult to do. I think this off season, we're actually going to get more information on that. I mean, I mean, I've seen some things about Carlos Rodon, but that's a big problem with him. That he took so long with his uh, with his fastballs in between, and that's why he, you know, located worse. Um, I I have some pushback about it, just because velocity wise, uh, you know, generally if you are getting rushed a bit, that means also you're not doing as much with your body mechanically and everything. Um, it's not just location; it should also affect spin rates, and it should affect movement, and it should affect uh, velocity as well. Um, so I've defaulted just as an analyst to say, okay, sometimes it's not always important as to what the exact reason is. Um, and sometimes it's just like, all right, he is performing worse and to acknowledge that. And like, I can only keep it in that way, uh, in the, in the short term. But now that we have the off season, we can say, okay, cool. It was a pitch clock. All right, great. Hopefully that is something that we can expect to get better now next year. Hopefully they get back into it. But right. The mental state of the game is something we don't talk about enough. And some guys aren't prepped for it. Some guys just can't um, have that that timer and can't just have the faith in themselves that how they go through it is going to be within that time or have just a generalized um, understanding uh, or spatial awareness, as uh, as Archer would say. Uh, situational awareness. That's the word I'm looking for for your Sterling Archer fans. Uh, not Chris Archer. Love Chris Archer. I'm at the show. Um, but, uh, uh, but yeah, no, I, I definitely do agree with you that it certainly impacted some. I just, I'm looking forward to finding out who. Yeah, I'm looking forward to finding that out as well. And I think we'll find that out as time goes on. Uh, one other, <clears throat> excuse me, one other thing that's really interesting from a, which pitchers are, gen are able to adapt to this environment scenario. I mean, I think you would agree with me. MLB deliberately tried to put a ceiling on pitchers. I mean, this is a situation where 
pitchers have run ahead of hitters for oh, yeah. a handful of years now, right? And so the goal with a lot of these rules changes was to make sure that pitchers got reined in a little bit. They There were too many strikeouts. There were not enough balls in play. I think MLB got that back. But I am interested this offseason to dive into the data about who they got that back off of and like which pitchers can recover or maybe not. Right. And I think that's an, we don't want to talk about like individual players being impacted by these rules, but that's how the rules changes yeah, work. Sure. So if you're trying to introduce more offense to the game, you are necessarily taking some pitchers and being like, you're not going to be as good. Right. It's uh it's part of the fun of the game too, though, is the constant pendulum swinging of, Pitchers doing one thing, hitters adapting, pitchers doing one thing. You know, when I was uh, when I was growing up, it was all about shooting knees, right? Keep the ball low as much as you can. And that was how you got outs is no one was able to get lift on the ball. Um, but then someone named Mike Trout showed up and he was the best low ball hitter you've ever seen. Uh, I mean, it's insane. That's just what he did. Everyone was shooting knees and he would just say, great, cool. Here's a home run. Um, and then, of course, the whole fly ball revolution happened and everybody was starting to get lift on it. And then the philosophies changed. I used to be someone who was pro sinker uh, massively. And uh, it's actually kind of funny. You know that meme where there's the bell curve and it's like at the beginning, it's like the noob is really into something. And then like the smart people are angry and they're like, no, it's this. And then the wise people are at the end they're like, no, it is that thing. That's how I feel about sinkers because I hated them before. Absolutely. I mean, sorry, I loved them before. Then I hate him because, no, it's all about the high four-seamer. That's how you get whiffs. That's how you become a sustainable pitcher. And I'm, I'm still there, but I also think the sinker is not the most underrated pitch in baseball because those that are able to jam right-handers effectively with high-O swing on it, a.k.a. Zach Wheeler, who is the king of this, oh, my gosh. Um, you throw your sinker that starts on the inside part of the plate and then goes off, and you're able to surprise it. That isn't all you do, right? You don't try and do the Adrian Hauser thing um, or the Cal Quantrill thing. Um, but, uh, if you can do that, you, it's unbelievable how effective that is. Uh, same handedness sinkers inside, you'll get free strikes, foul balls on it outs. Um, and, uh, you know, so that's kind of the, the way the game has shifted a bit. So I, what I see is that we've, we're always changing every single year of what, what pitchers are trying to do and what is the most successful thing. And as approaches change, batters adapt to that. And I'm, I'm just really excited about it. we're seeing fewer pitches in the zone these days, for example. And then all of a sudden we saw it come back a bit and then not, and, you know, it goes back and forth and haters adapt to higher walk rates, lower walk rates and so on and so forth. Oh, I can be more aggressive now. Oh, I shouldn't be. Um, I think it forever will be something that it will not be this complete separation, right? We're not past the intersection point. Now they're just going drifting off in different directions where pitchers are just going to get infinitely better and hitters are just going to be lagging behind. Um, I think we're going to continue to see a wave of it. And I, uh, you know, we've seen a, a down year for pitchers, you could say, but I bet in like two, three years, we're just going to say everyone at 98 miles per hour now, and you just got to deal with it. So uh, yeah, excited for all of that. I'm excited for all of that too. We're going to take a quick break for our sponsors on the flip side. We're going to talk about other things that we're excited about and some things that have happened this year that were interesting on the pitcher side of things. But first a quick break. We're back. So you were talking about sinkers for a second there. And oh, I just yeah. have to tell you, it reminded me of uh, Marcus Stroman earlier this year mm. after a game where he was talking, has sanker be sanken? Like he was, he was very onto it. Uh, 
that dude is a perfect example of a plus sinker mm-hmm. who can get a ton of strikeouts on it and really good ground ball rates when he's on. And also gets a little bit underrated because of that. And this is a fantasy baseball show. So I'm curious when you look at a guy like a Stroman or you look like a you look at a guy like a Zach Wheeler who maybe doesn't get the love that they should because their pitch mix isn't what we think it should be in this era. How do you rank them going oh, forward? Man. How do you think about them for fantasy baseball purposes? This has been, oh my gosh. So first and foremost, um, you see me, everyone else doesn't see me, but just look up how Stroman throws his sinker. It's so different. And he has such interesting fingers too. I mean, they're amazing finger. Like I can't, I have large fingers and he's, nope. He can do things with it that are insane. The way he puts pressure on it to make it actually a sinker. And it's not just straight down the rails of the separation point, kind of like the two C's back to back. Um, he actually goes up closer to where you would throw like a curveball almost. Um, and it's so cool. Uh, and he actually gets sink on it. Like it's a sinker. We've merged two seamer and sinker together to be one pitch. Uh, where two seamer used to be only horizontal movement. While sinker actually was just straight down um, with, with horizontal movement. And he actually gets that sink. Um, which is pretty dang cool. But um, yeah, the reason that you see these guys that are allow a lot of ground balls like this and generally underrated. Um, well, there's a couple things to say about that. One, there's the idea of FIP, uh, where FIP essentially says, look, you have a skill of limiting home runs or allowing them. You have a skill of allowing walks and you have a skill of earning strikeouts. And that's really it. Uh, and hits are just like a big shrug at the Babip God look down and they dictate where the ball goes and where it lands, which is ridiculous. Oh, I hate it. I hate it so, 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 so much. And here, here's the thing. I, this is, this is a Nick Pollock boomer ram ramble. Okay. I have so many rambles and rants. They're right. Because in the general label of everything that is going to be better. That is going to generalize. If you generalize everyone in baseball, yes, that is correct. But the cool thing about baseball is that every single pitcher is trying to throw this ball into an imaginary box and they all do it differently. No one does it the same exact way. That to me is what makes baseball so incredibly special. And everyone is unique and has their own skill sets and they can throw the ball this way and that way. And they're good at putting it here and they have a different windup and it's so cool. So you can't just blanket say that FIP is what it is and, and all hits are created equal and all that kind of stuff. It's just not true. It's why Blake Snell should win the Cy Young. He, by design, has more walks because innately allowing a hit is worse than allowing a walk. It's just, it's just how it is. And he's so good at, at picking apart game scenarios to prevent runs and allowing walks when it's okay to allow a walk and being able to play with the batter so that they get themselves out either through a whiff or they're making contact on bad pitches that they shouldn't be hitting, uh, shouldn't be swinging at. It's why he has such a low hit per nine. Stroman, on the other hand, uh, allows a lot of balls in play, a ton of them. Um, there are a lot of grounders, and generally you can do this uh, if you're a ground ball guy. We all know no home runs. It's not going to be the big swing stuff, sure. Stroman is very interesting to me because he's uh, he also does have a slider and a cutter or maybe they're the same thing, or maybe it's a serve, whatever you want to call that breaking ball that he uses. It's all over the place. He, he changes movement of it all the time. It's kind of like Adovino does, kind of like how Darvish does in that way. Um, that When that is good, then strikeouts actually happen. Um, you can get a ton of whiffs on a given day with that thing. 
And the sinker, I I think personally, um, is a really good pitch. It's not one that should be thrown 70% of the time because it's just so dang hard to get it exactly where it needs to be. When that thing is over the zone and it, there's a mistake to it, that whew, that's going to far away. Uh, if you, I call it the neck beard approach of Dallas Keuchel, where you're living on the edges, not above. You're trying to live down and extend it farther down and not throw nothing over the middle of the plate. And there are days that Stroman can do that so, so, so well. Um, so you'll see the, him being undervalued because, yeah, he's not going to strike out 25%, 30% of the guys. And Stroman, he's going to have some days where he's going to, yeah, he's going to have like an 8% walk rate at times too. And he's going to rely heavily on Babbitt. And the thing I've actually been against with Stroman is that he has been a high whip guy forever. Uh, that has been his biggest negative. Generally, you have high ground ball guys. Ground balls allow the most hits for Babbitt. Fly balls, super low Babbitt because fly balls are generally not going to land, but they're the most dangerous, right? So that's the give and take you have of it. So whip is not fun because you don't have like a 4% walk rate with Stroman. You have like a 7 8%, and you have a super high amount of your balls in play being grounders, which are going to be more hits than fly balls. But it means generally ERA is going to be lower. So I, uh, it, it, it's a trade-off there. And when it comes to Stroman, I personally, as a fantasy baseball manager, don't really like chasing him because the ceiling is capped. He, with his approach as it is, he's he's going to allow more hits than the average pitcher. It's uh, it's just how that is. Um, he's also not going to be a 25% strikeout guy because his slider and cutter are not going to be ridiculous. So though it, it's just about nuance. To answer your question, everyone is different. How they get their outs is my favorite thing in the world. That is what like analysis is all about and what make, makes pitchers so cool is they all have a different approach to it. I'm coming out with stats in 2024 that are more about guys like Stroman. All right. Um, there are things like SIP percentage, which is strikes in play percentage. There are things like um, mistake rate, which is something that we have because we have a, a pitch quality stat called PLV, which looks at every single pitch, not because of the results, but actually how they throw the pitch itself and the gener- generic hitter what they would do with it and uh, making it more individualized on the pitcher's performance as opposed to the hitter's performance back. And using that, we can say, okay, how many times does this pitcher make a mistake in the zone? Those generally go for hits. Actually, that's double the chance of a hit. Blake Snell, far and away the best at this. 100th percentile mistake rate. And it's like, I think it's 6% is is the second best. He's like 2.5 which is insane, right? And that's why he deserves a Cy Young. And it's like, I can't, it's annoying because it's not public yet. It's still like an R&D. <laughs> but like, it's right there in front of us of like, there you go, right? So what we can do is that we can say, all right, if we want to make the argument, he allows more weak contact unless he's a good pitcher. We kind of have this nebulous conversation about that. But now we can actually say, well, no, he does. What percentage of his hits deserve to be hits or not, right? Um, we have a thing called hit luck, which I think is a better version of Babip saying, based on the pitches he threw, is he allowing more hits or fewer hits than he should? Um, and uh, I actually don't have it in front of me. I think Strowman's is not good. But then again, it all depends on your defense behind you. You should. He was leaning into it early on in the year. Nick, but, you just like read my mind. I So I have to ask because yeah, he has a minus five in things, hit luck. Wonderful this year. Great. One of you, the things about Strowman... That is super interesting. And Kyle Hendricks, for that matter. Yeah. Uh, the Cubs have built this, like, 
defensive juggernaut to gobble all those balls up. They were like, we're going to go cheap on pitching and we're going to have these guys that everybody thinks are like two, three, fours, uh, depending on your analysis. Yeah, right. You know, we're we're, going to ride on Justin Steele and Marcus Stroman and Kyle Hendricks and we're going to be good with it because we're going to have Dansby Swanson at short. We're going to have Nico Horner at second. We're going to have Cody Bellinger up the middle. And you can do that if you believe in your defense, but it has a, I watch a lot of Cubs baseball people like what? It, get it out has, of here. You, it has a, it has a risk reward to it. Right. Yeah. So like 90% of the time this works and 10% of the time it's a catastrophe. It's like, Oh, they got through your defense and everything looks awful right now. Yep. And so for a guy like Stroman who has an opt out this season, I truly believe that I will draft Stroman differently in November than I will in March. Like if, if he does not opt out of that Cubs contract, I'm pretty interested in him. I'd like him as like my fourth best pitcher. He's going to have a lot of innings. He's probably going to have good ratios, but he's, he's definitely a risk. As you were talking about with the whip, he's a whip. I don't know. But I, I trust Dansby Swanson and Nico Horner to gobble up those baseballs and, I don't know if the Cubs are going to have a Cody Bellinger or not. That's a big question mark. I wonder when you look at some of these and, and you've got stats that are next level. Like I think of your all stats as like BIP is like level one. And then what I can get a pitcher's list is like level 2.0, right? Sure. When I'm looking at something like that, I wonder is a Marcus Stroman as safe of a bet as I think he is, or am I just like deluding myself? And similar, <laughs> like, I mean, it's not just Cubs pitchers, but it's any it's any pitchers that have a great defense behind them. Mm-hmm. They become different guys on a different team. Yeah, so uh, I, I'm in complete agreement with you. Um, actually, one of the things that, looking back at, say, 2022, that I wish I knew at the beginning of it was I didn't, I didn't grade the Arizona Diamondbacks defense as well as I should have. And that was a part of the reason why Merrill Kelly, for example, did so well. I mean, he also changed his changeup grip and everything like that and whatever. But I uh, I actually want to talk to, you know, I want to go to my fantasy guys at, at Pitcher List and say, hey, can we get a defense article? <laughs> I just want to like, what are the, we don't need to know who you think the 13th team best defense is. I just need to know who's like top five and who's bottom five. And uh, that should shift a lot of these Babbitt focused guys in that way, right? Um, guys that are kind of okay going to something that could should really help them. And yeah, you're right with Marcus Stroman. I mean, him having a minus five in hit luck is, is I don't believe taking into account team defense. It might, I got to get to back to Kyle Bland on that one. Um, but I, uh, it generally just says based on the pitches, what kind of hits are not. So him allowing five fewer hits, you could say, yeah, that is a product. Yeah. It does not include team defense, right? The team defense is the factor in between the uh, zero and the minus five. And a very good comparison, if you look at his hit luck in 2021 uh, when he was with the Mets, it was a plus 15. Stroman allowed 15 more hits than he should have, but then came to the Cubs and it was a plus three and a minus five, right? So that makes all the sense to me. And that those are the little things that you can uh, you know pick apart with this. Uh, to to get a little bit more of an edge than your basic stats. And that's a 126 with this year, but it was a 9% walk rate. You know, the hit per nine at eight is fine. That That's that's totally fine. Uh, and what's even more interesting to me, I talked about 2021 with Stroman, plus 15, 
8.1 hit per nine. It was the same amount of hits, but he allowed more of them. So he was pitching better, but the defense was worse. Like he could have had such a good season that year, theoretically, if the defense was better behind him, right? I think it's interesting stuff there. Thanks for letting me ramble for as long as you do. I know I, oof, no, I can talk a long good. time. I this, love I, all of it. I enjoy it. I love all of it. I will listen to you ramble all day. That's part of the reason <laughs> I wanted to have you on the show. Uh, some picture highlights from this week that I want to talk about really quick. Sure. We we alluded to this earlier, but Spencer Strider has the all-time Braves strikeout record. He took that from John Smoltz earlier this week. I, like you, am a little torn on Spencer Strider. I, I went into last season thinking that like the obvious dude who was the dude that should be your first pitcher pick in a draft was Corbin Burns and then it should be Garrett Cole and then whatever. Mm -hmm. And I don't know what that order is this year. I don't know if Spencer Strider has pushed himself into that conversation. I'm curious how you feel about Spencer Strider. Right. So I don't know. Um, I mean, it's, it's, it's incredible. A 20.5% swing strike rate is just, you know, in 2020, we had, I think four guys who were above 19%. And in 2020, sorry, 2019, that was like 16% or so for swing strike rate overall. And that was because it was a short season, smaller sample. Like the Grom was there and uh, Bieber was there. I think it was Giolito and Kenta Maeda were the others. I think if I remember correctly, it was a 20.5% this year for Spencer Strider. That is just absolutely bonkers. So you have to think like you, you miss so many bats. I mean, just innately... Like a 386 right? Come on, that can't actually be right. And you're pitching for a an Atlanta team. You just got 20 wins. Sure, you're probably not gonna get 20 again. Um, but it feels like, yeah, Strider, you're gonna get all those strikeouts, you're gonna get all these wins. The whip was still 109. Like, all right, the ERA comes down, everyone's happy, and it should be Strider as the SP1. There's uh I can't get this out of my head, and I think I'm being stupid. But, like, I don't know. I feel like Strider's going to get hurt. <laughs> like, I have I'm the like same fear. No, I have the exact same fear. I am <laughs> I am unconvinced that any guy that throws strikes at the rate that Spencer Strider does is going to be healthy for the duration. And maybe it's the DeGrom problem. I, I don't know. I might be – I might have some biases here, right? Like, mm-hmm. we watch DeGrom get hurt. We watch all of these guys get hurt. Yeah, there's we a velocity bias against – Tyler Glass now get hurt. And we yeah. – I don't know, but no, I have the same. I have the same fear. Yeah, a lot of uh, velocity bias is real. I mean, there is some correlation. It's not nearly as much as people like to think because, guys, everyone gets hurt. <laughs> everyone gets hurt, uh, and we we focus more on it because oh yeah, he's throwing so hard, he's throwing too hard, he can't, you know. But no, like it's everyone gets hurt. Um, but yeah, there's just this inkling to me, and then I see Garrett Cole, who's just this shining light of just yeah i'm just so good and i've been good for so long like i can i turn that down i don't know i mean garrett cole needs to get a slider in order it's really annoying uh and he went like the entire season without actually having his best slider which is crazy to me he had such a good season and did not have and there's corbin burns and it's kind of funny i think like two weeks ago in the season before the season started i flip-flopped corbin burns and garrett cole um, I said Garrett Cole number one, Burns number two. And I, uh, you know, I talked about PLV before. And as we were testing out PLV for like projections and stuff, 
there were two things that stuck out to us. I was like, okay, we got to calibrate against this. One was hilarious. It was Tyler Wells. It was our POV darling. We're all like, no way that's going to happen. Then it did. Um, and that was insane. But the second one was, you know, everywhere, of course, Corbin Burns. Oh, yeah, 30 plus percent strikeout rate, right? And we look at our POV projection and it was at like 24%. And we're, and we're saying, what? We can't have like 40 pitchers projected to have higher strikeout rates than Corbin Burns. We just can't do that. And we kept like banging you know, against the wall for it, you know, and we got it up to like, I think, 27 or something, whatever it was. But we had a thumb on the scale. We're like, we can't. There's something wrong. Was there? I don't think there was. <laughs> that, that's like, to me, honestly, in the retrospect, you know, looking back at all this is like, maybe we're on to something here with PLV and our projections. We already improved it a lot. So I'm so excited to, to roll that out. We'll have a first wave of it. Um, our expected one is in November for first pitch Arizona. So uh, we'll see. We'll see what that whips up. Uh, that should be wild. Um, but uh, but yeah, uh, so Strider's in that mix. I mean, it's, I don't know. I, I, I'm, I'm dealing with this tomorrow. All, all day, if you're listening to this on Monday, uh, come on by and at playback.tv slash pitchlist all day long. You can debate with me the ranking of all the top 200 pitchers. It's going to be weird. I can't wait for that. Uh, speaking of the top 200 pitchers, there's one guy who's going to be in there who threw a knuckleball today. Oh, George That's... Kirby has a knuckleball. I yeah. I have to admit, I love George Kirby. George Kirby is one of my dudes of who I'm like, I, I want that dude on my team. <laughs> uh, he's one of my favorite pitchers. Um, the knuckleball got originally classified in baseball savant as a splitter, I believe, mm -hmm. but I, I've been told it's a knuckleball. I'm it curious yeah. what you think about George Kirby and his knuckleball. That's a crazy addition. Well, yeah, I mean, that was uh, that was something he messed around with in the spring. He didn't throw it all year. And then Tim Wakefield passed and he came out and said that he threw it as a tribute today, which was wonderful. Um, I, I love it so much. It's for as an analysis thing. It's just, yeah, he's not going to throw that next year, but. I also, I think the first uh, shirt we ever sold to Pitchless was Don't Trust the Knuckleballer. So um, I sure hope he doesn't become a knuckleballer. He's <laughs> not going to be a knuckleballer. But I do love the idea of George Kirby having a knuckleball in right? his back pocket if he wants it. And I do love that he threw it today as a oh, tribute okay. to Tim Wakefield. I I am a, I lived in Boston for seven years during the Tim Wakefield mm. years. And so I got to watch Tim Wakefield pitch in person. I, I was uniquely devastated by that news today like it just kind of he, he's a great guy like he's a great oh, yeah. guy tim he's wakefield, a great baseball I, guy everything about tim wakefield is good oh, yeah. and i it stinks a lot when the knuckleball was on that was a really fun game to right? watch it was just like I, did you ever watch the i think it was on netflix for a while i don't know where it lived originally but there's a documentary called knuckleball Mm. that follows like Tim Wakefield. It follows um, R.A. Dickey, of course, and R.A. Yeah. Dickey. And it's got the Negro brothers and like, yeah. just it's, it's, it's this collection of characters who are like, we're not supposed to be here, but we do this trick. This, we have like this one trick, <laughs> right? <laughs> and it yeah, keeps us wonderful. in the majors. It's right. a great documentary. It's one of the best things I've ever watched. I'll, I'll definitely check that one out for me as a, uh... Yeah, I came up with that phrase, don't trust a knuckleballer, because as an analyst, I'm just like, I have no idea how to give any sort of assessment to these players. Uh, because what I don't, I don't know if he's going to have his knuckleball tomorrow or today and which, which way it's going to go. And like, I, my whole thing is like analyzing your pitch approach and what you do. And 
knuckleballs just here you go <laughs> and so take cool. it to the wind right like let the wind adjust yeah. this pitch uh, as i mean go. ari dicky won that cy young i didn't have him on my team like of course not neither neither did i uh <laughs> who but speaking of some guys you might have on your team if not this year maybe next year who are your favorite under the radar starters this year oh man i mean i don't know how to define under the radar uh because I mean, I write about every single one every night and uh, it's the only reason I'm able to do anything in this industry is because that is my study hall, you know, and then I reconsolidate the next morning when I do my podcast and whatnot. And of course, Cole Reagan's was like my favorite thing ever. Um, he to me is the unicorn of just having five pitches that he commands that are all just filthy. And it's just no one does it. No one in the majors can do that. Uh, we did see some weakness in that last game against Detroit. All around was not good. And then, of course, the Royals being the Royals with a bad defense and bad management to always leave him in too long. <sighs> it's very frustrating. But um, Nicole Reagans is is so fun, and I think a lot of people are going to push back against him. It's just like Snell, like he knows how to not give in uh, and be very, very excited for him next year. I... Uh, I don't know. It's it's hard to find true like under the radar guys. I feel like Seth Lugo did not get enough appreciation this year. He's he's also in that Spider Man uh, finalist position, uh, where he's he was just so good for the Padres this year. Consistent, um, lots of wins or not enough wins. He deserved more. Solid whip ERA, a good amount of strikeouts. Uh, Michael Walker also just insane season uh, this year with his changeup being the best changeup in baseball. Uh, and I think if, if you want to uh, consider guys who did not do well this year, who I consider um, fantastic rebound candidates, Lucas Giolito, I think that his stuff is far better than I, than what it was, um, the results, I should say, the last two months. I feel so bad for him today because he wanted one good start to get a good paycheck. Just one. He got an opportunity to get one more start. The Guardians even shifted the whole thing so that he can get this extra start on Sunday. It's such a cool move for them. And no, he did not do it. <laughs> it was Mickey's day, not his, you know. Uh, uh, so, I mean, those are a few off the top of my head. Um, obviously, Michael King is going to get some love and whatnot. Uh, but it's always hard to tell of, like, who is truly underrated. I mean, maybe, maybe your boy Jordan Wicks is underrated. Uh, unfortunately, I have a phrase. I don't draft Tobies, and he's a Toby. <laughs> he looked really bad, by the way, uh, in his last start. I mean, his command was far worse, and he only threw what five changeups all of a sudden. Like, what are you doing? That's your thing. Don't throw fastballs down like middle height. Why yeah, did you that was do bad. that? I, I'm, I'm unsure what Jordan Wicks was doing in that start. It was it was hard to watch as a Cubs fan. I I like Jordan Wicks though. That changeup is filthy when he oh, throws yeah. it. It's a it's a great pitch. Um, Lucas Giolito is definitely on my radar. I'm I'm curious where he lands. I, mm. I actually, I really liked Lucas Giolito being picked up by the Guardians because I thought, oh, the Guardians, they're. <laughs> oh, no. You got booted out, didn't you? Well, the Guardians, the Guardians are a crew to me that they are so good at developing pitchers through AAA and then preparing them for the majors. And then when we get to the majors, we don't see adjustments that often. So when they get someone like Giolito, I don't think that they were that prepared to, uh, to actually be in a situation 
where they could really save Giolito. They just kind of said, all right, Giolito, go do your thing. And he didn't really have much help. Uh, the fastball was okay. The changeup was amazing. The slider was really bad. And uh, I, I just, yeah, I just hope they find someone or he finds a club that can really extract the best out of him. I mean, I just think about the Rays and the Astros and uh, the Dodgers. They are going to need starters. And all three of those organizations are organizations where a pitcher goes there. I expect them to get better. So I'm excited for that one. Um, also, Luis Severino, he's going to get picked up somewhere, too. And uh, I hope it's to a club like that. I'm curious. Uh, whose start are you dying to see at the start of 2024? Like, who's the one pitcher? Oh, Maybe yeah. not Cole Reagans, because I know how he feels about Cole Reagans. So the okay. non-Cole Reagans guy that you're dying to see at the start of 2024. There are, there are a lot. I mean, I'm also really curious about, like, say, is Shane Boz going to be okay? Is he? Uh... Dude, I would love Shane Boz to be okay. Right. Is it, you know, there's some interesting Tommy Johnson. I want to see Walker Bueller, see what he's doing. Um, I mean, there's also, I'm so curious. This is, this was the year of the rookie pitcher, right? Just there's so many unbelievable ones. You're going to constantly be seeing this now because the level of quality of pitching is just getting better and better. So many guys throw harder. So many guys know through uh, th- what they're supposed to do more now, right? How to make a good slider, how to make a good fastball. We know this. So, I uh, there are all these youngins like that we know of of like you know Hunter Brown what is he gonna do now and Gavin Williams and Tanner Bybee um and Bobby Miller and I'm so curious what they learn okay cool you've had some development but now is the offseason where you meet with driveline and tread athletics and you improve on this stuff and you say great I want this slider and have that new but then there are also the athletics pitching staff is kind of dope. All right. Like Ken Waldachuk shows up with a new changeup and I'm like, okay, sure. You need to figure out your, your command a little bit, but now you have three pitches as a good four seamer that gets whiffs upstairs and a sweeper and a changeup. And that would work if you can just get more time developing the command. Uh, JP Sears. Yes, yeah, sure. He was this year's Eric Lauer, but it, man, if he can cons- finds a way to be consistent with that stuff and yeah development normally happens in the offseason that could happen we have joe boyle chucking 98.6 mile per hour fastballs and going six perfect innings against the angels what <laughs> who how okay you know there there's a lot of interesting stuff mason miller oh my gosh mason miller that is the guy i think that uh he's my one he he's the one I, I Mason Miller is the one I'm most excited for done. Oh, oh, he's so good. I love that you leaned into the A's here because it harkens back to something that I was just talking about with um, Scott Pianowski, which is that you cannot forget the last place teams. You can't. Right? The last place teams have all sorts of interesting talent on them. Oh, yeah. And sometimes they have some dudes that you're like, I don't know, CJ Abrams, like CJ Abrams came out of Cole nowhere. Reagan. this year. He was a league winner, league winner. And if you were not paying attention to what was going on with the Nationals with Lane Thomas and CJ yeah. Abrams, and for a brief moment, Stone Garrett, who like, I am so sad that Stone Garrett got hurt before he got his mm. full moment because Stone yeah, he Garrett was, a rock, was like, wasn't he? he was a <laughs> he was a rock, and he was also about to like go on this tear where we were going to recognize what Stone Garrett was actually doing. Don't forget the dudes on last place teams. Yeah. Last place teams yeah. have some talent. That that feeling of like guys getting hurt or just not getting the opportunities or whatever when right when they're on the cusp. My gosh, that is my that 
all the time with the SP roundup. Um, I mean, honestly, your boy Jamison Tyone. Um, and uh, you know, I, I, I'm lucky enough that I got to talk to him about, you know, how the Cubs kind of. I, I saw on Cubs Twitter a bit, not you, but people wanted him removed from the rotation for a moment. I'm like, what? And he actually had all these bad results when his skills were getting better. Um, and I, I was, I remember talking to him about this, but like, yeah, you are, like I'm seeing this change where you are doing your New York Yankee thing of four seamers upstairs, where when we were the Yankees, you didn't really have any sort of secondaries underneath, but now you kind of do. And you're right there. And oh man, you just happened to face this super tough offense. Like that's such a bad pull, you know? And he was saying, yeah, I'm actually like, you know, I'm feeling a lot better now. Like, you know, as I was going through and finding my way and just kind of getting, you know, into a rhythm and I feel I'm right there now. And uh, it's stuff like that where I'm just like, oh, I'm pulling for him. You know, I just can't wait for him to shine. And he shined yesterday. He is a big reason why you got won that game on Saturday. You know, he gave you those shutout innings. I mean, Wasnaski too helped out as well, but um and it's sort of aside but like man that was huge uh and he that was him pitching his best right so i'm excited to watch tyone next year i think he's in a much better place now than he was at the start of the year uh well and, and he's gonna moment. be cheap on draft day he's a guy oh, you know one's gonna care about him, yeah. and he is probably gonna have i mean i don't know this is my hot take for the day but he might have a better season next year than a marcus stroman that wouldn't mm, surprise me at i like him more entering this year if JMO um, had a better year than Marcus Stroman, and higher, Stroman's going to go before Tyone, he hasn't a higher ability to get. Uh, like he's not going to be the ground ball focus guy. If he's able to actually do those four seamers upstairs and get that cutter down, get that curveball down, um, execute a bit of a Blake Snell blueprint that is hard up, slow down. Yeah, Tyone could be a you know quality start, a hero. Uh, Fifteen teamers. I don't want to do twelve teamers. Twelve yeah, teamers not over the ceiling. I agree. All right. No, I, I agree with you on that. He's he's an interesting guy to keep an eye on next year. Um, my last question that I almost always end the show on, but it, but it's unique this day because mm-hmm. it's the end of the season. So what is your best piece of advice for a newish fantasy baseball player as they're kind of looking at their season yeah. and they're looking at what they want to do next year and they're trying to plan for this long off season that we have in baseball? How should how should a newish fantasy baseball player approach that? Oh, man. Um well, uh, what I love that you said at the beginning of the show is that there are no dumb questions and uh, ask questions in this industry. Everyone's here to help you. I think uh, it's a lot easier than you'd imagine to create a foundation of your own analysis. Um, and there's so many fantastic resources out there to help you be able to uh, to figure things out on your own that you'd want to do. I like to say it as every single person had that question once. Um, and just because you're asking it now doesn't matter. It's great. Cool. You're asking it. I uh, so that at the very least, don't be intimidated by it because there's so many people here to help you and we got you. Um, I would also say it's one of my favorite phrases in draft season, which is do not draft the best ball team. Uh, it's a common, common thing. And it's my my endless war, my eternal war against projections is on draft day. We think of our team as the team we have forever. We think we see our team as a lack of nuance. We see them as just a number. I'm going to get a three, six ERA from this guy. Like the range is like two, seven to four fifty. You know, it's, it's so rarely within such a small bracket. Right. And to, to really embrace drafting in a way that isn't just projection winning, um, especially in baseball, you don't win the league in your draft. You win the league in your waiver wire. You win, you win your league adapting and figuring things out quickly and if you draft in a way 
that is understanding of this and being uh, putting yourself in a position to take chances, not necessarily in the waiver wire, but just take chances in the draft that you are prepared to swap out and change quickly in the season and make early decisions. You don't want to have what I call a hipster. That is a headache inducing pitcher stifling the entire roster where you don't know what to do. And then you're trapped and you have to hold on to them the entire year. And you've lost because of this uh, draft players that you can make quick decisions on and be ready to switch them out. That is the biggest piece of advice I can give because so many people talk like it's a best ball league and it's not. It's a really good point. I actually, this harkens back to my first episode with Alex Fast earlier this oh, year man. where I... Of course, Alex Fast was the best one. was the best first guess you could possibly get. It, it, he really was. And we're both in this Tout Wars 12-team mixed league. Mm. And so we had, we had that draft to talk about. But one of the things that I mentioned from that draft that was different than what I had done from other drafts, and it was a lesson learned from the last few years of playing fantasy was I made my last like four picks guys who I was not scared to drop mm. uh, because the problem that I had had in previous years is I would drop, I, I would draft all the dudes I really wanted, mm-hmm. including the dudes that I really wanted to hope on. And then I never wanted to drop them. Right. Like I'd wind right. up with like my last pick being a Luis Patino or something. And I'm like, but sure. I don't want to lose Luis Patino because Luis Patino has so much upside and yeah. Luis Patino has not done anything that for, upside that for me or for on. the Rays or for the White Sox or for yeah. any of the dudes that he has no. played for recently. And so I, I needed to make those last few picks guys who I was okay. Dro- I was okay. Dropping. Right. I was okay. Replacing with somebody off the waiver wire and it was going to be fine. And that was actually a huge shift for me this year. And it actually, it, it didn't show in the results. I did mm-hmm. not have the best season fantasy wise, but that had more to do with some guys who got injured than anything else. I mean, um, you know, every year it's all, it's all different. Mason was just Mason was saying how he had like his worst year ever in 2022 and just had a phenomenal one this year. So yeah, nice to be- it is what it is. Um, but it was having those spots to churn where I was yeah. like, Oh, I'm, I'm totally fine. If this guy is not on my team anymore, it's, it's right. not the end of the world. It's not like my favorite prospect in the universe who was on my team. Exactly. That made a world of difference for me. And I think that that advice of it's not a best ball team, (laughs) you're trying to like put together your roster and you have to have spots to turn and you have to have guys who are going to come in and out and you have to be able to move when the waiver wire says you should move. That's really good advice. That's super helpful. Yeah. I sometimes even do it to the extent that fast always push back on this and I understand if you feel like the guy's going to be good this year, then just like fine draft him. But I put a, a heavier weight on the back end for those last three picks on know what the early schedule is, especially with the pitcher. It's uh, all right. If I know that Tyone is going to get this team, that's terrible on offense. Like I would stream him, draft him. And then I could drop him before other pitchers have even gone yet. You know, like little things you can do like that out of your draft to get a little bit of advantage. You have, you have more control when you have players who have already played before the others, um, especially when it comes to pitching. Cause sometimes like a guy gets skipped the first week and it's the most annoying thing. You literally have a dead roster, roster spot for the first 10 days of the year, which is the most important 10 days of the year. Uh, so draft around that uh, be ready for those first two, three weeks. Cause it gets crazy and you'll miss out on some ridiculous things. If you're not the one that jumps in and has a chance to, to hit on it. Nick, that's great advice. Where can people find you and all this great advice that you're sitting about? Come on by. Come on by. 
to Pitcherless. But most importantly, make sure you rate and review this show. You guys have stuck around all year and you know how much work Sarah puts into it. And if you haven't yet put a review on iTunes, what are you doing? Go and do that right now. It goes a long way. I appreciate you. I appreciate you sticking through uh, some technical difficulties here. It's been what one of those nights. I don't know what you're talking about. One of those nights over here in Chicago. Uh, you can find me at BCB underscore Sarah. You can find the show at What the Fab. You can subscribe by searching for Fans for Sports Network Fantasy Baseball. And we hope you do. Uh, we'll be back all through the offseason and next season to help you with all of your fantasy baseball and fab decisions. Until next time.